It is written. We are driving into a brand new series. And yes, I said driving. We are in, I have been on the road way too much over the past eight days or so. Not to open with, we are driving into a brand new series today. We will be in for the month of November. And so bring your friends and your family as we dig in to God's word and discover what is actually written in the word of God. You remember that time that Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and the enemy thought, well, he's physically weak. I should probably go and try to tempt him in his weakest moment. What he didn't understand is that when the enemy, uh, uh, when Jesus appeared to be at his weakest, he was actually spiritually at his strongest. Uh, and, and when the enemy attempted to, to test the Son of God, Jesus simply responded. I don't, I don't even think he yelled it. I think he just said it. He just simply responded, well, it is written. He just reminded the enemy, the tempter, come on, the liar, the deceiver. He just reminded the enemy what God had already said. And in light of that, I, I wanted to preach a message today. And since I wanted to, I will. Um, uh, I wanted to preach a message today called, Because God Said. Because, because God Said. And now listen, any parent and or hypocritical grandparent in the room, and most grandparents are hypocrites by nature. They, they treat their children one way and their grandchildren another way. That is not worthy of applause. I don't know why you're <laughs> clapping. Um, if you've ever tried to deal with a child over the age of two years old, into 11, 12, and 22 years old, there are times where you are very tempted to use this phrase, because I said. Look, you guys know the phrase better than you know the Word of God. We're going to fix that in this series today. <laughs> And, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily an evil phrase. And, and there have been times where I've said it. There have been times where I've been tempted to say it. And there have been times where I've heard it said, specifically to me, most of my life. Because I, I was a why child. Do we have any why children in the room today? Just go ahead and good. Thank you for your honesty. Um, and here's what happened because I was a Y child. I have now Y children, plural. My mom only had one, one Y child, and it was me. And now I have three Y child. I don't understand why I have so many. And I don't even think Megan was one, but she has three. So <laughs> the blessing of the Lord flows out of me. And so my children, they like to ask why, and this is just Parenting 101, and, and, and grandparents, go ahead and take notes, and for the love of all things good, please help us, okay? Because I don't like to beat my children just because they were at your house for a week, okay? So anyways, um, <laughs> it's funny because it's true, and I, when my children asked why, what we began to do, because, because I was a why child, and, and honestly, I believe that God actually likes it when we ask questions. Like, when we would begin to examine, assess, or even engage in, in trying to understand why he may want us to do something. I believe our Heavenly Father welcomes that, and I believe that we should too. I'm belaboring this point ever so slightly, but... I don't believe that because I said it is because I said so is a good answer. I do believe that we need to take the time to explain to our sons and daughters and our spiritual sons and daughters. Answer the question. Give them an explanation and tell them why. However, I don't need you to understand in order to obey. So as a father and as a mother, we, we, we decided because we want them to ask, like we want to explain, like we want to be a safe place for our kids. Because listen, if they don't come to you, they will go somewhere. Somebody will give them an answer. And it may not be the answer that you want them to receive. But if you didn't take the time to explain it, ultimately, if they don't understand, 
then they're not going to continue to obey. You may be able to force them to for a season, but when you help them understand, then they will continue in obedience and understanding. So here's what we do. Helpful, I finally got there. What we do is we say, you do what I say. In other words, obey first, and then you can ask me anything that you want to ask me. Oh, but you have to do what I say. You do it, you do it when I say it, you do what I say, and, and then after it's done, then you can ask me why. Then you can seek to understand. But obedience cannot come after understanding. For example, when we share this in our parenting, well, my wife shared this in our parenting group. I didn't even know this until the first time I heard her say it. But she was at a store. She's putting the thing, putting the groceries in the vehicle. The children were there with her. And, and I wasn't there. And she saw a suspicious, semi-aggressive looking person coming towards her and our children. And so she told our children, get in the car. And our children responded, why, why? You know, all three of them. It's like they're like the little seagulls instead of mine, mine. They're like, why, 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 you know? And Megan, Megan doesn't have time to explain because this person is approaching them, right? She just needs them to obey because she sees something that they don't see. And she says to them, <laughs> then she says to them, because someone is coming at the car, come get in the car. Someone is coming at the car. So then why turns to who? Who's coming? Who's coming at the car? <laughs> that guy, that guy is coming to get you. Get in the car. <laughs> so they all get in the car. And I don't know if she said that or not. And listen, and you've seen my bride, she just goes around and she's like the, the light in every room. You know, she is my sunshine after 9 a.m. and before 9 p.m. She is just so pleasant. She's like the honey in my coffee. Come on, somebody. It's just... She's a beautiful person, um, but, but in that moment, the southern belle that she is was suppressed, and the German descent began to arise over the southern belle, and this sweet little southern belle turned into this semi-Nazi German. <laughs> And our children had not seen the German in their mother. They had just formally seen the Southern Belle. And so in this moment, once she got them in the car, the German came out and began to explain, you do what I tell you. I know your daddy's not here. I'm going to tell him what you did. I'm going to tell him what. And now all of a sudden they're obedient. Come on, you know, because they believe me. What they didn't see could have hurt them eternally. And they didn't need to understand they needed to obey and once they obey then she was willing to explain I, there are times where God sees things that you don't see there are times when the Lord is attempting to provide and or protect you from scenarios situations even individuals there are times when he is trying to provide for you something that will not be provided if you do what you want instead of what he says so simply come to a place where you learn how to obey first and then understand if you're taking notes today number one God's word has absolute authority God's word this book has absolute authority let me say unapologetically the Bible and the Word of God are the absolute authority. There is no other authority that supersedes the authority of this Word. And this is not another book. This is not another resource. This is the Word of God. This is the breath of God put on parchment and downloaded into technology so that it can be downloaded into our soul. And there is no other authority unless this Word allows it as an authority. St. Augustine said it this way, The truth is like a lion. And our worship team just happened to sing, Our God is a lion, the Lion of Judah. St. Augustine said the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it 
just let it loose. It will defend itself. God the Father, this is important. If you miss this, you miss the foundation, not just of this series, but you miss the foundation of following Jesus. God the Father, through his prophets, through his apostles, and through his Holy Spirit, spoke an eternal, ageless, infallible, inspirational word. And the infallible, eternal word of God has, holds, and shall forever be the absolute authority on this earth. There's a man, a pre-reformer in the 1400s by the name of Jan Hus. Now, I understand where I pastor, and I understand the culture of South Louisiana. And so today, I'm not here to just set the culture straight or to offend anyone. I'm here to establish the authority of the Word of God first and foremost. I'm here today to establish Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the head of the ecclesia, which is the governing, gathering body of the church. Thank you for those hearty amens. In the 1400s, a man by the name of Jan Hus he was from the nation, the territory of Bohemia. He was a Czech peasant. His parents were herders and farmers. He was alive during what would be referred to in history as the Great Schism of the Church. You can go back and look some of these things up. During this time, another man previously existing right before Jan Hus was a man by the name of John Wycliffe and or in my southern twang as I've heard it all my life, John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe is the man who is responsible for the heresy of taking the Vulgate Latin Word of God that nobody could read and translating it into English that every commoner in the land could hold in their hand and actually understand. What an atrocity. What, what a rebel this man was, that he would take what was only able to be read by kings and priests and translate it into a common language that every child of God who believes and humbles himself, therefore under his mighty hand, could be invested in. Now, John Wycliffe was protected because the nobles... And the kings actually liked the direction that he was going in and attempting to reestablish Jesus as the head of the church instead of men as the head of the church. And so there was a shifting of power that was taking place. So John Wycliffe actually died of old age even though he was excommunicated from the church for his theology, which predominantly was just the simple fact that everybody should have access to God's word and Jesus Christ alone was the head of the church. Jan Hus came across his teachings and he came across his books and he began to translate his teachings and his books and preach his messages to the Czechoslovakian people, which were actually at that time the Bohemian people. He was talented. He was well-educated. He could sing. He could communicate. He could preach. He was passionate. He was, he, he, he was relatable. And he was ultimately convicted of heresy for this purpose that he believed Jesus and his word were the only and ultimate authority. Jesus alone is the head of the church. He was convicted of heresy. He was convinced to come to the Council of Constance, guaranteed protection in travel to and from that council. He knew that the church and the governing authorities of that day were seeking his life, and yet because he had been promised a covering and protection to and from, he decided to go, but while they were there, they accused him of another heresy that removed the covering that they had promised to him. So he stands before the council of Constant, already been excommunicated from the church and claiming veneration, by the way, for John Wycliffe. And I don't have time to explain all of that, but many of my brothers and sisters in Christ today will understand the significance of that. You don't claim veneration for an individual that has been excommunicated from the church unless you want to suffer some sort of punishment for that claim. 
Jan Hus stood before that council and he said this, God is my witness. The evidence against me is false. I have never thought nor preached except with one intention of winning men, if possible, from their sins. When the church becomes more interested in what it has and what authority it gets to walk in than it is interested in winning souls for the sake of the kingdom of God, the church has lost its purpose. In the truth of the gospel, Jan Hus says, in the truth of the gospel, I have written, I have taught, and I have preached. And he says this, today in that truth, I will gladly die. As he was being burned to death at the stake by the church, I might add. He said this, what I have taught with my lips, I now seal with my blood. A hundred years later, a Jan Hus follower known as a Hussite by the name of Martin Luther would stand and he would make similar claims to John Wycliffe and Jan Hus. And he too would give his life defending that Jesus Christ alone was the head of the church and the word of God and no one and no thing else was the ultimate and only authority. In 1914, the Assemblies of God met in Hot Springs, Arkansas, after a revival had broken out across the land in 1904, led by a one-eyed black man named William Seymour, who experienced the power of God and began to share and preach and teach as the book of Acts would share and preach and teach. And there was a group of individuals that came into Hot Springs, Arkansas, that began to establish the doctrine of the Word of God and the Assemblies of God, which now is adheres to 67 million Pentecostal believing people around the world today. The number one fundamental truth on ag.org of the Assemblies of God is this, the Scripture. The Word of God, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man. The infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. We stand in the shadow and the covering of Jan Hus with our first fundamental truth. And I preach in an opening of this series that God's Word alone is the ultimate authority. I am not the ultimate authority of this church. Jesus Christ is. He may have put me in charge, but he is in control, ultimately. And if I ever say anything contrary to this book, then we have two spiritual elders, eight board members, and multiple staff members that reserve the right by the name of God to call me to the carpet and correct me. If I therefore take away or add anything to this book, may I be accursed above all men. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to his protege. Came out of the gate a little strong in this series. That's why I opened with a funny story. <laughs> Verse 1 says, know this, the apostle Paul writes, in the last days, perilous times will come. Hashtag 2020. A precursor. An attempt by heaven to awaken his bride, his sleepy, powerless, oilless, lamped bride. In the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. They will promote themselves. They will position themselves. They will serve themselves over the kingdom. They will be lovers of money. They will sell indulgences. I just gone there. They will tell you to pay penance as if you could purchase anything in regards to salvation that has not already been covered and purchased by the blood of Jesus himself. They will get on television and claim to be televangelists that would convince you to sow a $1,000 seed to receive your miracle as if the mighty works of the hand of God are dependent upon how much money you can give. 
They will stand in their pulpits and they will ostracize and celebrate themselves. They will spend and they will give to themselves and their own ministries because they love money over people because they don't understand that it is people that are heaven's treasure. They will be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to why did he put that in there? Disobedient to parents. I've almost gotten too old to have a voice with this generation of teenagers. They see me more of a father figure now than a big brother. It may be what Gabriel refers to as the old man hairs on the side of looking real close. Daddy. I was like, what? What, what are you doing? He said, I'm counting your old man hairs. He was about to knock your hair off. You better get up out of my face. Better get up out of my face. Disobedient to parents. Does this sound familiar? They will be unthankful. They will be more entitled than they are willing to invest. Have you ever lived in a more entitled generation? A generation that expects something for nothing. A generation that wants to be blessed but not willing to bless. A generation that wants to be given to but not willing to give. Listen to me and hear me clearly. If a man shall not work, then a man shall not eat. The United States of America will break down from the inside out if we do not work and produce as the people that God has called us and created us to be. That's not a political statement. That is a biblical truth. They will be unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. If they don't like what you have to say, they will cancel you. They will be without self-control. This is not just in the world. This is in the house of God. This is in the worship centers. They will be brutal, despisers of good. They will call good evil and evil good. They will be traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You won't be able to look at their lives and tell any difference between them and the atheist. Verse 5, they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. In other words, they will sound really good, but if you're sick, you better not go see them. They will sound really good, but if you're hurting, they have no healing. They will sound really good, but the moment that a spiritual gift begins to break out in the worship center where the ecclesia is gathered, they will get uncomfortable and they will go somewhere else where they can hear a seeker-only message that will make them feel better about their sin-filled lives. Well, he just went to preaching this morning, didn't he? They will deny and, 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 and actually fight against anything happening in the worship centers and or the culture that they read in Scripture because God doesn't work that way anymore. From such people, the apostle Paul warned Timothy, and I believe the warning still stands today, from such people, stay away from them. Turn away. When they leave and send you an ugly email, don't even go after them. Sorry you feel that way. Some of you need to learn the gift of bye-bye. <laughs> Here's what I've learned in a short season, and I believe I'm supposed to share this right now. I, in fact, I believe that this is for somebody in this room. Stop chasing people that don't want to be around you. Minister to the people that God puts in your path. It is not your responsibility to determine who gets on the bus that God has made you responsible for. It is your responsibility to drive in the direction that the Holy Spirit has already destined for you to drive. It is your responsibility to obey the voice of God in the direction he tells you to obey. Whoever gets on and whoever gets off, you simply turn to Jesus and you tell them, you can follow me as I follow him or you can follow what you want. But as for me and my house, we will accomplish what God created us to accomplish. I'm not going to spend my energy... Come on, because I only have so much. I'm not going to spend my emotion because I give too much of it away to things that don't matter. Come on, somebody. Trying to run after people that do not want to be caught. That is God's job. 
I am just supposed to be faithfully there whenever they realize that what he had in me is greater than anything that anybody else had anywhere else. Verse 14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Verse 15, that from childhood, come on, Southern Bible Belt, you've been hearing it as long as you've been alive, that from childhood you have heard, learned, and know the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, the pneuma, the breath, the life, the internal, matchless infallible, inspirational word of the Lord. It's in you. It's why you can't continue in sin comfortably. Because the word is in you. And the word of God shall not return unto him void. You've been hearing it since you were a baby. It has been invested inside of you. The Holy Spirit planted it through the mouth of somebody else. And it is the word of God which is able to make you wise. For salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Number two, the scripture. The scripture is breathed by God. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture. Bump your sleepy neighbor who got an extra hour last night and probably didn't take advantage of it. And tell them all scripture. There's not a word written in this book from Genesis to Malachi and Matthew to Revelation that was not breathed by the mouth of God himself, inspired by the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. It is God's breath that was breathed into the prophets of old to write an ageless word that has withstood the test of time. It was the breath of God, the same breath that breathed into the lifeless dirt body of the first man named Adam. See, Adam was on the ground and he was nothing but some molded up mud until the breath of God, the pneuma, came down from heaven and into that body and a spirit came into that body and a soul came awake in that body on that day because of the breath that was breathed in by an almighty eternal God. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, it is the same breath that breathed life into Adam that breathed into this book and when you read this book the breath of God is breathed back into you your dead dirt mud body molded out of nothing can all of a sudden become something eternal whenever you are inspired by the pneuma that God wants to put in you it is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction my Lord See, a major problem with the church and the culture today is that they want a cheerleader, but they don't want correction. It's a problem in a lot of pulpits. I'm not here to preach you happy. I'm here to preach you holy. And if me preaching you holy makes you unhappy, then that's okay. I don't want you to go anywhere else. I want you to come back next Sunday. But if I have to substitute your happiness in a moment for your holiness for all time, then holy it shall be. God didn't give me three babies and a bride so we could be happy all the time. Come on. He gave me three babies and a bride so that together we could come in the name of the Lord. We could be pruned by the pruner. We could be guarded by the guard. And we could become likened unto Christ and not ourselves. So that whether we are happy or not, whether the circumstance is conducive for our joy or not, we choose Jesus and we are holy because he is holy. This is what the word says. I'd rather you give me correction than a sugar-coated compliment that's going to cause me destruction. Come on, somebody. I got to keep going. The instruction in righteousness, verse 17 says that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God may be complete, 
There's not a church that can complete you. Now listen, by just side note, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right. You ain't got to go home to be married either. You just ain't going to stay that way for very long. Thank you, Dr. Tony Evans, for that incredible quote. But you got to get in the Word of God because one hour a week ain't enough to keep you fed. Come on, we got, we're all suffering of heart disease across the land outside of the church because we don't take care of ourselves the way that God tells us to take care of the temple. But inside, we're spiritually skinny and scrawny and wondering why we can't wage war against a real enemy. We get just as up. I ain't got time for it today. Thoroughly equipped, the Bible says. You may become what God created you to be, not because you had a meeting with the pastor and or the priest, or if you got to stand before the Pope himself, but because you got in the Word of God, which is the breath of God, which is Jesus Christ himself, and because you were in his presence, you began to read it and it began to read you and in the inside from the inside out you began to become fulfilled not by what the world has to offer but by what the word has to say and the fullness of God begins to to cover and fulfill the void inside of you and you not just the pastor not just the staff not just the tenured member, but you become thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, good works don't save you. They're just the evidence that you are saved. So if you want to know whether you should be secure in your salvation or not, then all you have to do is evaluate your speech and your actions. And your speech and your actions will tell you how close to Jesus you are or and are not. And let me just carefully caution you not to be confident in the salvation that you're not walking in, no matter how many prayers that you've prayed. Because you listen to this little church-born and raised baby right here. There were times in my life that if I would have had to stand before God Almighty, I would not have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. I would have heard, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Now, that's not a condemnational statement. It was convicting. It's just like somebody said yesterday, well, at least LSU put up a good fight. What kind of participation trophy? This is an SEC team that was the best of all time two years ago. Do we really live in a society that thinks, well, at least they put up a good fight? We need to stop being Christians that think just because we put up a good, at least we made it respectable. No, there is not a made it respectable participation trophy that God's going to hand out for some that did and some that don't in the last days. You will hear one of two things. You will hear, depart from me, I never knew you, or you will hear, well done the good and faithful servant enter into the kingdom of glory or at least they put up a good for stupid stuff it's <laughs> division one athletes Some boys are making more money than I do care if they put up a good fight you better win something come on, I'm telling you right now I don't serve a loser I don't serve a king that's not coming back I don't serve a God that's not victorious if I read the last days of the book and it said my Savior lost I'd serve somebody else my God is victorious and we need to learn to be some Christians not just barely getting through this life barely making it through well I just hope to make it into heaven by the skin of my teeth no 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 you're gonna make it into heaven by the blood of your you're going to make it into heaven by the power of the cross. You're going to make it into heaven by the resurrection power of God. And if you got to get there through some suffering, then suffer you shall. But you will be victorious in the name of Jesus. My God ain't whining. He's winning. Come on, somebody. Why do I need to read my Bible? I'm dead without it. I'm nothing but molded mud without the breath of God. And every time I read the Word of God, blessed is he who hears and reads this Word aloud. Every time I read the Word of God, I become like Adam again in the garden. 
not the one who was kept out so that he didn't remain in his fallen state, but the one that God came down and breathed life, spirit, and soul into. You've heard me quote it before. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, the Bible says, was in the beginning. In him, everything was created. And he was the light of the world. And the light shines brightest in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Verse 14 of John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why do I need to read my Bible? Because every time you open it, you're sitting with Jesus. Every time you read a verse that you've quoted a thousand times, you are literally hearing the words of your Savior being spoken into your fallen self. And you're being revived and resurrected over and over again. Why do I need to read my Bible? Because every time I read my Bible, I sharpen my sword. I don't know if you've ever tried to accomplish a task with a dull blade. There was a storm coming a few weeks back. Listen, all right, don't go buy me a chainsaw, okay? I got to say that. I didn't, never had to say this stuff until I went to Chandler, Texas and came down here in Eunice. I don't need nobody to buy me a chainsaw. I like my arms, okay? I call people. I need a chainsaw. But I didn't have a chainsaw. I had a sawzall, okay? And it had a cord on it, and I had a blade. So I got a ladder and my corded sawzall, and my wife came outside and said, Oh, Lord, what is he doing? I said, pray in the spirit right now and just cover me and go back inside. I'll tell you when I'm done. I climbed up on the ladder on the side of the tree before the storm, and I started trying to, trying to cut limbs out of that tree because I wanted to tie a trampoline to the tree because I didn't want to buy a new trampoline. Trampolines are kites with springs, okay? So I tied that thing down, but I had to get some limbs out of the way, so I'm up on the ladder, probably top step. I wasn't using it as the A-frame that it is. I was using it as a lean-to. Everybody knows you can get higher with a lean-to you can an A-frame. So there I was, my sawzall and my dull blade. And I'm up on that thing, and I'm going through, but I hit a knot or something. Now, if, I, if my blade would have been sharp, I'd have been all right. But it wasn't. And I don't know if you've used a sawzall recently on a limb. I don't recommend it. It's not what those are for necessarily. We got about halfway through, and I was, you know, it's kind of one of those moments. Now, if I was on the ground, no big deal, right? <laughs> I just go through the limb. But I wasn't on the ground. I was on a ladder, okay? When you try to do what you're supposed to do with a dull blade, it's harder and more dangerous on you. And many of you are trying to get through this life and walk this Christian walk, but your blade is dull because you have not sat with your Savior long enough or uh, uh, recent enough to allow him to shine and sharpen your sword. And you are going to hurt yourself. You are going to have to go through things. You are making things harder because you are not spending time in his holiness. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Well, I don't have time to read my Bible like you do, preacher. Then you are officially more busy than God ever created you to be. The devil has convinced you that what you are doing is more important than spending time with Jesus. You are not in a good place, my friend. I love Pastor Weston sent me a, I mean, I love Pastor Weston, period, but he, because he married my sister and stuff. <laughs> By the way, I wasn't hunting last Sunday. 
I, I had two weddings last weekend, and one of them was Sunday afternoon. It was my 57-year-old uncle, never been married before. He got married last Sunday afternoon. How cool is that? Yeah, and, and, and then, and, and I got to preach one sermon at First Assembly of God in Minden, just one. So guess how long they were there? Yeah, so it was good. It, we had a great time. <laughs> it's so cool. I got to tell you this. My granddaddy, oh, he got me. My granddaddy came walking through the back door about 10 minutes before service. My granddaddy's a faithful man of God. I believe he's one of the reasons I'm serving God today. Comes walking through the back door of First Assembly of God. Now look, my granddaddy is missionary Baptist. Okay, the loudest thing you say in a missionary Baptist church is amen. And that's it. If you say anything else, you may get slapped. I know because I did. Great, great people in Calvary Missionary Baptist Church. Very grateful for my upbringing. I don't think my granddaddy has missed a service in, in most of my life. And here he comes walking through the back of First Assembly of God in Minden, Louisiana, my hometown. Now, no, now this is my home, but that's my hometown. My granddaddy comes walking in. And I got to preach with my granddaddy on the second row, just smiling and gleaming the whole time. Because in February of 2006, I said, God, let your word be true and every man be a liar. I want to follow you with all of my heart. And I don't ever want to look back. And I used to listen to men and women who had the word of God so deep in their heart that it sounded like they could just quote the whole thing. And I have not arrived and yet I press on. And today, God has begun to give me words for people and give me a word for myself. And I'm able to quote his scripture because I've heard it so many times. I've rehearsed it so many times. I've repeated it so many times. And God has used us, a fool like me, to lead some of my family into his presence and change the trajectory of my children's eternity because I came to the place that Billy Graham, Graham came and I said, God, if your word is true, I will follow it no matter what. I don't understand it. Even if it's not true, then I will be found as a fool still following your word. I have to believe in what is written in this book. And if, because if I don't, I don't know what else to believe in. Why do I read the word of God? Because I don't want to go out against the enemy and not be armored up the way that God created me to be. I got to fast forward a little bit. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, I said something funny earlier. You can go watch it in the 8 o'clock message. I don't have time in this one. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, you see, according to the Apostle Paul, that there is only one weapon in the armor of God. You can look and read Ephesians 6, you see, put on the helmet of salvation. The belt of truth, put on, you got to put it on. God purchased you the ability to put it on. He's not going to put it on for you. Go get dressed, son. Go put some clothes on, girl, you know what I'm saying? Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Lace up the shoes of the gospel of peace. Pick up the shield of faith. And in the armor of God, Michael Rowan said this. I'll tell you, this part's funny. He said, we got too many fruit of a loom, fruit of a loom Christians. Wake up in the morning, get ready, get dressed, go out of the front door of their house with no armor on. Come running across the field thinking that they're about to accomplish something for eternity. The enemy looks up. He sees nothing but a bunch of half-dressed so-called saints in skibbies and socks. Put on the armor of God. And then the Bible says, and take the sword of the Spirit. The apostle said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Dr. Luke, as I close, said in chapter 21 of his gospel in verse 33, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word, Jesus Christ said, my Word will never pass away. Number three, and the final point of this message, his Word is my 
weapon. I am nothing without his word. I'm defenseless without his word. I have nothing to attack the enemy with without his word. I am molded mud without his word. But in his word, I can experience the light that bursts forth in Genesis chapter 1 and form creation. In his word, I can experience the breath of Adam because his word is the protection that I need. His word is the promise of Abram. His word is the dream of Joseph. His word is the vision of Moses. His word is the deliverance of the Hebrews. His word is the praise that brought down the wall of Jericho and turned it in a ramp for the people of God. His word is the fire that consumed the altar on Mount Carmel. His word is the oil that was poured over the head of King David when he was still nothing but a shepherd boy. And his word was the victory over the Philistine giant named Goliath. His word came out of the wilderness in the form of John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His word was the salvation of the nation of Nineveh. His word was the protection of Daniel in the lion's den. His word was the fourth man in the fire with the Hebrew boys. His word was the persuasion of Esther. His word was the inspiration of Nehemiah. His word was the provision of Malachi. His word was the commission of Simon Peter, the redemption of Paul, and the revelation of John. His word is Jesus, and Jesus is the head of the church. Hear me this morning. Nothing and no one supersedes the authority of Jesus Christ and his word. There is no person, dare I say. There is no pastor, dare I even say. There is no priest. May I even just step in something stinky today and say, there is no pope that supersedes the word of God and Jesus Christ as the head of the church. There is no ecumenical council. There is no committee. There is no executive leadership team. And there is no church that supersedes the authority of God that was established in this word. This word is the beginning and the end. It is the first and the last. It is the everlasting to everlasting. It is the lamb of that was slain and the lion of the tribe of Judah. This word will be the answer to Armageddon. It is the word that will come like a sword and kings and kingdoms of this earth will bow down. This word hath stood the test of time and this word will withstand the end of time. And you will find me and my bride and my babies standing in this word if I'm not having anything else to stand on. In this word we shall stand. Because God said, he'll help me understand later. Because God said, I will obey. And his word is my weapon. I close with this. Jesus said, if. This is powerful. Listen, Freedom Conference. Jesus said, if, if you continue in my word, not just if you receive, not just if you hear, not just if you come to, that's where it starts. Not just if you receive, but Jesus is saying, if you remain, that is how you can have confidence in your salvation. You know that you know him if you keep his commandments. And so Jesus looks into the face of his followers the way that I am begging and pleading that you will see me speak today. He says, if you continue in his word, then you are his disciples. And then you shall know the truth. And it doesn't matter what's happening around you because the truth will set you free. You don't have to defend the truth. You just have to let it loose. It will defend itself. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, thank you for your word. May it not return unto you void today. 
but may it produce right now what it was sent forth to produce. Plant your word in the hearts of your people. God, water your word and may it spring up today like a river of living water. God, may it spring up today like a breath of fresh air. May we breathe in the Spirit of God. Every follower of Jesus, I challenge you in this Thanksgiving season to dedicate more time in God's Word, to aim for seven days a week and at least hit four. I'm telling you, if you don't aim to spend time in God's Word every day, then you will not spend time in God's Word any day. If you're in the room today, if you're watching online, if you have not received salvation, maybe you did, but you have not remained in Christ, I can tell you that the Word is waiting on you. You are so valuable that he gave himself so he could have you. He is so interested in your holiness. He's so interested in your salvation that he was willing to be slain. He gave his life so he could have yours. And the only thing he wants in return is your surrender. So if you're in the room today or you're watching online, would you surrender your life to Jesus? Would you submit your life to the Word of God? If you need to give Him your life or give Him your life back today, would you open your hands right where you are? It's a posture of surrender. You're signifying, hey, God, I'm letting go of what I've been hanging on to, and I'm going to receive what you have for me. Church, I want to invite you, every follower of Jesus in the room, I want to invite you to pray loud. And if you need to pray this prayer, if you need to confess this out loud, if you need to give your life to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to join the church. Join the children of God. Be born again and use your mouth to confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I've disobeyed, where I've been comfortable. Cleanse me and save me from myself, the enemy and this world. I believe you gave your life so I could live. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. You were raised from the dead so I could be born again. When God sees me, he sees you. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. May I get in your word and may your word get in me. I surrender all right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And the church gave God praise. Come on, somebody.